Greetings, friendlies. Welcome to Dharma PhD, conversations about the science, philosophy, and culture of mindfulness and secular Buddhism. I'm your host, Shannon M. Whitaker, joined as usual by my fabulous co-host, Jeff Street. Welcome, Jeff. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. Still a pleasure, though. (laughs) Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Undiminished (laughs) by the ravages of time. So let's see. What have we been doing since February? I think I've only had two haircuts (laughs) since then. (laughs) That's true. I think it might be true. Dharma PhD, the independent PhD part, has been super busy despite not doing any broadcasting. Sorry, it's been so quiet. Thanks so much to all of you who wrote in. That was really lovely to hear from you. Thanks for caring. Been doing a ton of stuff. You've retained your independence? I have retained my independence. I have not had any colleges reach out and ask me to- No one has commandeered your PhD? (laughs) No one has tried tried to recruit me into their program. Good, that'd be terrible. To have it uh, taken over by some hostile I mean, scholars. the money would be nice. Okay. All right. There'll be <laughs> compensations. Yeah. The Independent PhD Project has been going really well. I managed a forum and administered a forum for a course that Bodhi College was hosting with Stephen Batchelor. It was a 12-week course called After Buddhism and Beyond, where he was unpacking where he's at now. He wrote this book, titled After Buddhism. And now it's, okay, now where am I? I've started a mentorship with Lee Brasington, who is a jhana teacher. And so I've been working with jhana practice, which is this really deep, people use the word concentration. It's a deeper form of meditation. Okay. And that's been amazing. It sounds like he's a a lovely guy. We've been talking a little bit about your conversations. Yeah, Lee's a lot of fun. (laughs) If, If any of our listeners have been considering Taking a retreat with Lee, now's a great time because most of his retreats have been online. It's not as intensive. Probably it can be really hard to do an online retreat at home because you have all of the home distractions. Like me. Yeah, like really lovely (laughs) (laughs) co-hosts in your new tiny apartment. But it's a really great opportunity to have access to teachers that we would not have had access to before. Well, and to have opportunities to interact with your, co- what are the other attendees called? Other The other attendees via things like the, the forum that you've created. Yeah. And some people are doing retreats with mm-hmm. forum type mechanisms. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The course that we had with After Buddhism Beyond through Bodhi College, people in New Zealand, people in the US, people in obviously Europe, it was around the clock, people in Japan. The sun never sets. The sun never sets on Bodhi College. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, what are we going to talk about in this episode? I'm so glad you asked. Let me guess. Sean Peacock, <laughs> talk number five. There we go. Yep. So, we'll be talking about the fifth in a series of six talks by John Peacock, the same series that we started with back in episode two. The series of talks is called Buddhism Before the Theravada. In this episode, we're going to continue with a concept that we had started with last time. We began talking about this Buddhist doctrine, Paticca Samuppada, which is commonly translated as dependent origination. Okay, dependent origination. Mm-hmm. But stick with Paticca Samuppada because... Take me through the pronunciation. Paticca mm-hmm. Samuppada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paticca Samuppada. Yeah. Good job. Listeners, follow along all together now. <laughs> Paticca Samu. Very well done. Lighthearted grammar can be my segment of the podcast because your your pronunciation, you've been practicing. 
Yes, yeah, it's true. It's getting stronger. You were just reading a section of a book now called... Yeah, the book is called Reading the Buddha's Discourses in Pali by Bhikkhu Bodhi. And you were reading a surprisingly thick section of the book <laughs> yeah. entitled... Entitled A Very Brief Overview of Pali Grammar, and it's 60, 60 pages. <laughs> but there's a lot of books that are just Pali Grammar, so we'll just put that down. I'm not going to do that to you today. Stay tuned. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyway, back to Paticca Samupada, or dependent origination. Last episode, we had talked about the first two parts of this list of 12 parts, and those were avidya, or confusion, and the way I like to translate that is not understanding how our minds work. You might remember that we talked about cognitive biases, we talked about the fact that you're we're trying to solve the upper levels of Maslow's hierarchy with a brain that evolved to solve the lower portions. Yeah, that was a really interesting, there were a lot of interesting things in that episode. I, I enjoyed that one. Great. Then the second part that we talked about was this Pali word, Sankara, and we were using a translation, habits. And we talked about how there's a bunch of different kinds of habits. There's the thing you can check off on your calendar, but there's also our habitual responses to the world, the way we habitually respond to the world, actually make up our personality. So personality is a sort of habit. And then we talked about how we can have these really complicated habits, like driving to work. You can get on cruise control when you're there. Yeah, yeah, and you end up driving to the wrong place because you think, like, get in the car, drive to work. You know, I was fighting that this morning. I was cycling to work this morning, and there's yeah. some construction along a pretty steep hill. And I needed to remember when I got to that hill, which is about halfway through, just about the time I'd be fully in autopilot mode to take an alternate route to go around it and was successful. Congratulations. Thank you. Way to be mindful. Thank you. Okay. So that's a refresher on our first take of Paticca Samupada from last episode. Okay. Now I want to throw a big wrench in the conversation. Are you ready? <laughs> throw it in a different direction. Then... I'll just gently set it into the conversation. I won't hit you with a wrench. Okay. That's not nice. Paticca Samupada is not just a list of 12 things that we're going to go through one at a time. We started doing that. We're, we're not going to do that. We've hit the high points. We've hit the first two. And now we're going to do something different. Okay. And the reason we're going to do that is because this concept, Paticca Samupada, dependent origination, is very complex. Okay. It's a super fertile idea. Mm. And so even as you're looking at the suttas in the Pali Canon, Gotama spent 40 years teaching. So he unpacked a lot of this idea. And then over the following, <laughs> then yeah. over the following mm -hmm. 2,500 years, scholars did a lot of unpacking of this concept. And so okay. it's become this really fertile ground. Like discovering implications and yes. uh, different aspects and, and things like this. Yeah. To give you an idea of how complex this idea is, when I first sat down to prepare the episode, I said, okay, so what is Paticca Samupada? And I realized I couldn't give a one sentence answer Okay. <laughs> because every answer I came up with didn't incorporate some aspect that I've heard taught or talked about. So you'd end up with a run on kind of sentence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Seven, of seven lines. Okay. All, but all in one sentence. <laughs> all in one sentence. A lot of commas. Yeah. So I looked at what John Peacock had to say, because, you know, that's the title of this podcast episode. And then I looked at what other teachers, so Bhikkhu Tanisaro, Stephen Batchelor, Lee Brasington, Marka Kinchina Weber, and Judson Brewer. And these teachers are coming from very diverse backgrounds. You've got practicing monastics, you've got former monastics, neuroscientists, 
lay teachers, and they each emphasize a different bit of this unpacked idea. That sounds like one of those cases where the number of people that you ask is equal to <laughs> the number of interpretations you yes. get. <laughs> How many definitions do you want? Go and ask that number of people and you'll have that many definitions. Yes. But I did find that trying to tease out a definition was ultimately helpful because I ended up coming up with a framework to think about how to hold all these ideas okay. that for me is really helpful. I, because of my personality type, I like to take ideas apart, see what all the different pieces are, and then put them back together. It's true, listeners. Facts <laughs> right here. I, I will say, don't do this with a goldfish. Good advice. Sage, Doesn't work. So advice. otherwise, this is my personality type is to take things apart and then put them back together. I wrote a 2,500 word blog post mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's over on Dharma PhD. It's titled Parsing Paticca Samupada, where I unpack this and I show the framework that I came up with. And to show again how complex this is, I shared this with Lee Brasington and his response was, yeah, that's good, but there's a bunch more. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I'm already at X a number of words. And at some point you got to publish it. Yeah. Yeah. And he was probably like, yeah, a number of my books have gone that way. <laughs> yeah. He actually has a book right now at the publisher on dependent origination on this topic. You're beating him to the press is what you're well, saying. Well, what's funny is he keeps saying like, have I sent you my book yet? I'm like, okay, just wait. I got to get through this episode first because I can't have you... Influencing. Yeah. I, I can't have too much of your influence. Anyway, we're not going to go through this 2,500 word blog post in this episode. The thing I want to say is if this is interesting to folks to go take a look at this framework, because what it allows is whenever you hear new ideas or you hear people talking about Paticca Samupada, instead of trying to figure out, oh, how does this compare to this other thing I heard? This, this is not the same as the previous definition. Though. Yeah, exactly. What we can do if we have frameworks is we can let go of worrying about that part and we can just focus on the ideas because each of the ideas within the framework, each of the sections, if you're the type of person who likes to think that way, each idea has merit and can be really helpful. And sometimes we can get wrapped around the axle worrying about, well, how does that connect to this other thing? Sometimes it can be helpful to put that aside and say, ah, I know what bucket we're in. Let me just listen to this idea. Let me process that a little bit. And then later bring it into the more holistic idea, the whole cornucopia of ideas. So that's why I'm throwing that out there. For today's episode, we're going to talk about one tiny aspect. Okay. <laughs> the reason I chose this particular aspect is because, again, my interest is not so much Buddhism per se. It's how do we live a life of human flourishing? So when I was looking at this list, I thought, oh, this is a thing I'm really interested in. It's something that I care about. So this is the aspect I want to talk about. Okay, great. So listeners, you're going to hear one tiny aspect of this really complex idea, Paticca Samupada. And you're going to hear my take on it as it is today. Which mine, I'm mine too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that it'll change over time. So starting from that, what is... Paticca Samupada, what is dependent origination? The most general thing I think I can say is that Paticca Samupada is an idea that says nothing in our experience arises out of nothing. Phenomena are linked to and dependent upon other phenomena. Let me explain that a little bit. Okay. 
Please do. I think a really good analogy for this is one that Lee Brasington uses. He talks about the kitchen light bulb. Okay. So the state of affairs, the phenomena, the kitchen light is on, is dependent on all kinds of things. It can include the technology, Edison and all those other guys. It's dependent on production and supply chains of the material of which the light bulb and the socket are constructed. It's dependent on all the people involved in that production and supply chain. More locally, you could say that it's dependent on the local power generating station, the wires from there to the town, the wires inside the house, the circuit breaker, (laughs) and the light switch being in the on position. So we have this, what is for us a really common phenomenon, excuse me, the kitchen light bulb being on, which is intimately dependent on innumerable other factors being present. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. this idea that things are interconnected because we, because many of us have the personality type where we like to take things apart, (laughs) pointing at myself here, we forget to put them back together and recognize how interdependent so much of experience is. And Paticca Samupada, dependent in origination, at its most broad, says that all phenomena are complex and dependent in this way. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, through time, through space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Across different people. Yeah. So one way that people talk about Paticca Samupada is they will point out how if phenomenon A is dependent on phenomena B, C, and D, if this is the case that there is this dependency and we want to get rid of phenomenon A, we want phenomenon A to cease to go away. And for listeners, think third noble truth here. Then all we have to do is get rid of one of the dependent conditions. If we get rid of B, C, or D, you get rid of A. Does that make sense? Depends on how semantic you want to get. Okay, like the, go ahead. We, we talked about how they depend on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like necessary and sufficient conditions. Yes, so I could say do, it that do way. Wanna, do we want to get into that or is it not useful we for We can. This? Maybe it's helpful. I like talking about it that way. Yeah, sure. If we have phenomena A and there are necessary but insufficient conditions B, C, and D, and we want A to go away, then we need to knock out the necessary but insufficient conditions B, C, or D. We don't have to do all of them. We just have to do one of them. Yeah. And a metaphor that, again, I'm totally stealing from Lee Brasington on this one. Do it. (laughs) I warned him in advance. I like his metaphor. So you have a kitchen light and it's illuminated and you want to extinguish the kitchen light. Now the kitchen light, phenomena A, is dependent on the light switch being on, the wires being connected, the power station being operational. So if you want to turn off the light, You don't have to blow up the power station. You don't have to go outside and cut the wires to the house. You just have to turn off the light switch, right? So this idea that phenomena, if they are dependent on each other, you can cause phenomena to cease by ceasing one of the dependent conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And pick, pick an easy one. Yeah. Pick the easy one. Find an easy one and pick that one. Because if you do those other things, then you'll also extinguish some other lights and your neighbors might not be pleased about that. (laughs) Right. And also things that are not lights. Yeah, yeah. Choosing the most um, efficacious, necessary, but insufficient cause is really helpful, like you're saying. And this is a really big part of Buddhism. Particularly, it's expressed that dukkha or suffering is caused by craving. And so if you get rid of the craving, you get rid of the suffering. 
And there's a lot of this idea of cessation. How do we stop suffering? How do we stop suffering? And that's talked about a lot in Buddhism. And I'm all for that, right? Like, great, less suffering, awesome. But I feel like we can do more. Okay. So the thing I would really like to spend time on this podcast talking about is the flip side. So if we have phenomena A, we want a particular state of affairs, and it's dependent on phenomena B, C, D, E, then we need to get B, C, D, E and activate them in some make ways sure that present. we get. Yeah. yeah, make sure they're present so that we can get phenomena A. So we have the, the, on the one hand, what's talked about a lot is cessation. What's not talked about so much is the arising. How do we get behaviors or positive, desirable mental or emotional states to more spontaneously arise? A state of a state of flourishing. Yeah, a state of flourishing. Okay. Yeah. How do we get that to arise? And so that's the thing I'd like to talk about in this podcast. I want to give you this quote that I think is so good. Chris Sparks. He said, when it comes to creating your environment, assume you have free will. When it comes to living in your environment, assume you have no free will. Mm, that's interesting. What do you think is interesting about it? Well, that's not how I operate today. I, I do almost the inverse of mm. that. And I can see how this would be very useful. Okay. When I was thinking about examples, the first thing that came up for me was pull-ups. Yeah. <laughs> how many pull-ups did you do today? I did 12. Good work. But here's the thing. When we... Wait, if we do a high five, will that be... Excellent. <laughs> when we lived on the East Coast, we had in our house a pull-up bar that was between both of our offices and the rest of the house. So anytime somebody went into their office, it was really easy to do a pull-up. And if the other person was there, maybe you'd do two because you were showing off. You might, just, be, you might be encouraged by the other person. Hey, yeah, person. you could probably do one more. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Looking good. So it was really easy to do pull-ups. But now the pull-up bar is down the hall and then down four flights of stairs. So you have to put your shoes on and you got to get your mask. You got to make sure you're dressed so that people could see you in public. And then you got to go down the hall and down the stairs and then around the thing. And there's like a fob and you got to get in there and... There might be other people that don't have their masks on down there. Yeah. It's this big, complicated thing. In the last place, we created an environment where it was really easy to do pull-ups. You just, you know, walked under it. I think you almost hit your head on it. <laughs> we installed it ourselves. And so we measured yeah. carefully so that it was, Crazy. it was just above my head. So if I had like a sprig in my step, I wouldn't hit it. But also so that you could stand flat-footed on the ground yeah. and reach it. We have different heights. We Yes, but... <laughs> We found a, a real sweet spot there, there about an inch spot. and a half, and we put it right in there. <laughs> so in that case, we used free will or this idea of free will. Also a tape measure. And tape measure to craft an environment in which it was very easy for the condition, the behavior that we wanted, which was do pull-ups, to arise more spontaneously. Yeah? I'm looking at your arms right now. They're looking great. <laughs> Thanks so much. So... The thing I wanted to talk about was that is something that is possible. I would like to install a pull-up bar in our apartment so that the behavior of doing pull-ups more spontaneously arises. Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> at, the, at the office where I work, this kind of environment, a pull-up environment, has been created. Mm -hmm. There are, some, there are two, two opportunities to do pull-ups. There are some gymnast rings, and there is a straight pull-up bar as well. And you guys have started Pull-Up Club. Pull-Up Club, where we uh, encourage each other. We have a little whiteboard that we keep a tally on and we pass it around between people at work. Yeah. And the goal is to not have that whiteboard be on your desk. 
when it, when it arrives on your desk, it's time to do your pull-ups and, and get it off to someone else's desk. And so you've created this environment, both the physical environment, but also the community environment where this desirable behavior arises. Also, listeners, anyone can join Pull-Up Club. So if you're interested in joining Pull-Up Club, write in. You can yeah. send him a text. Yeah, please do. All pull-ups are welcome. <laughs> all different kinds, all different shapes with the hands facing forward, facing backwards. Yeah. Whatever kind of pull-ups are interesting to you. I thought it might be interesting to talk about some other behaviors or skillful mental states that we might want to bring into our lives. I have some ideas, of course. Would it be interesting for me to share mine or would you like to share any? Yeah. Let me go grab my phone. So I wrote down two two things I'd like to cultivate more of Yeah, in my life. One of them is to have less, I guess maybe this is an antonym. Maybe, maybe you can help me figure out what the opposite of this one is because this is like a negative statement. I'd like to remove a self-criticism. Okay. It's a, it's a thought pattern that I fall into okay. frequently. Maybe we can come up with the opposite of that one. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is I'd like to spend more time focusing on our relationship. Okay. You know, we made this move in large part because I got a new job out here mm-hmm. and I've really been focused on that quite a bit, but long-term jobs will pass away. They'll, I'll have other jobs in the future and, and that'll be fine, but I'd like more identity to be focused on our relationship. Oh, thanks. So those, those are the two big ones that came to mind first. Okay. One thing, first of all, thank you. That's very flattering. Um, one thing I think we're already doing with these two is for the relationship one is so listeners, when we first moved in, we had a bunch of three by five photos that we had printed oh, you take yeah, pictures yeah. Of your phone, you take selfies and Jeff had a bunch of these printed and stuck them all over the apartment. Almost every wall somewhere on that wall, there's a little three by five of us doing something fun. There's us at the, um, Coliseum in Rome. Yeah, the one right behind me is in the Coliseum. Some others over here are at various uh, chateaus in France. Yeah. One of us drinking wine together at a, an outdoor concert. We're Shakespeare both, Festival. Yeah, yeah, we're both like looking in a fun way through the wine in the glass. Yeah. Uh, at the camera. We read this book together called Religion for Atheists by Alain de Botton. He talks about how religions aren't afraid to use art for a purpose. There's a little bit of hesitancy now. Oh, you don't want to say like what this art is or what it's for or what it should cause in the viewer. And religions have no problem with that. They're like, no, this is supposed to make you feel this way. And they'll, and they'll put that word in the art. Yeah. <laughs> that that really touched me, actually. I, I get both sides. I understand that on the one hand, art is its own thing and it shouldn't be instrumentalized. But I think that if you're doing it with intention, instrumentalizing art can be okay. I think that the fact that you're already, you've already started down this path of putting pictures of us having a good time together around and it it reminds us, right? Oh yeah. We, we're, we're a nice couple. We like Mm -hmm. to do things together. We have fun when we do things together. Yeah. I think that's a really good first step. Saying so. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. I think the thing I'd like to say here too, is that I, I mentioned causing to arise this sort of prompting, both behavioral and mental and emotional states. And so by putting these photos around, we're actually priming ourselves to like each other. Oh yeah, that was really fun. You know, you had said an antonym to self-criticism and it sounds a little cheesy, but self-celebration is an antonym. Okay. And so how do we celebrate the work we've already done? I don't feel that that our environment celebrates the work we've already done. Hmm. Okay. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by like how, what would be some ways we could do that? If we want to use the photos thing, mm-hmm. we could have pictures of you. There's that really sweet picture with you and Tim 
looking up at the drone from Jeff's previous work. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there could be photos of Shannon as valedictorian. Yeah. Jeff as yeah. drone engineer. Pictures of... Jeff skipping a rock on the yeah, river. Yeah, Jeff think, skipping a rock. Last year. Yeah. yeah. Moments in time where something happened that was worth celebrating. And then showcasing that in a way that doesn't feel contrived. No, here's a photo of a really you know, fun moment in time and something important that happened. I think that would be a good start. That that does sound good. When I was applying for this job, I created a website Mm -hmm. showing all my past companies or organizations, so like school or or this company or that company, Mm -hmm. and some notable projects Mm -hmm. performed at each one. And that was a a good exercise to do. I felt really great about things I had done in the process of creating that collection. Yeah. But it lives on... I was just about to say, how do we manifest that? How do we make that part of, you know, do we get a giant wallpaper of your cuttlefish drone submarine thing? (laughs) Just put it up on the wall. (laughs) Yeah. People would come in and they would say, wow, that's quite a thing. The one thing I do want to say about this idea, though, of setting up one's environment in order that these spontaneous behaviors or mental states arise is it's important that this doesn't become something else to cling to. That you don't have a fragility, maybe. Yeah. In your, in your, your setup, your, your routines, your, yeah. your physical, your photographs. <laughs> like, you know, if one of the photographs falls off the wall that we stop liking each other, that would be a problem. Oh. And that we build in flexibility into the system because we don't have a pull-up bar right now. So I have to track down the hallway and that's fine. It's not ideal, but it's fine. But an example that I sometimes give is I have an acquaintance who won't go on retreat because that person can't work out on mm. retreat. Their system is so rigid and so structured and fragile that they can't take a break from what they've got in order to do this other thing that would be really good for them. I think anyway, have a preference for a retreat. So maybe I'm wrong there. Anyway, the idea is don't cling to it. One of the big Buddhist no-nos is clinging to rites and rituals. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of thing seems like it could easily turn into a ritual. Yeah. And, and originally that was based on what was happening with Brahmin society. But Akinchino Weber brought up a great point. And he said, look, this optimizing thing that we're all trying to do, that's rites and rituals. If I eat the right food, if I have the right diet, if I put the pull-up bar at the right height, I'll be a better person somehow. And so not clinging to these ideas. These are things that we're going to try out and maybe some of them are working, maybe some of them won't. And then we'll move across the country. And we have to start all over again. So <laughs> well, you and I, you and I, I feel like have a robustness against this because a, a thing that we say to each other is the phrase perpetually prototyping. Yeah. When we think about trying something out, mm-hmm. we, we try to envision ourselves as perpetually prototyping, as perpetually uh, trying new things, being open to changing them, refining them. Mm-hmm. And the goal of that refinement, the, I don't know, the thing we're seeking changes in, in front of us. It moves in this direction or that direction as mm-hmm. we get more focused on different aspects of life. Yeah. I feel like we do a pretty good job of keeping open to things like this. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's all I have. Thank you so much once Thank you. again. It's, it's a pleasure to be back. Oh, thanks so much for saying so. Another delightful peek into the... Um, Alternate. Yeah. Alt Dharma. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> T-shirt idea. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts on any and all of this. Please reach out. Hello at dharmaphd.com. 
the website and blog is over at dharmaphd.com. I'm still encouraging Shannon to create a, a line of t-shirts with uh, silly Dharma phrases on there. So be sure to write in if you're interested in uh, any of those ideas. May you be well. And welcome back, listeners. <laughs> Call now to be entered into the Dharma PhD sweepstakes. Oh, man. What would we give away? A pillar of Buddhism, of course. <laughs> Yeah. The nice thing is that everyone can be a winner. So there's a pillar for everybody out there. There is a pillar for everybody. That would be a great t-shirt. Buddhism. There's a pillar for everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's the co-host. Are there? I'm the host. He's the co-host. Yeah. But in the relationship. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. In the podcast, of course. But I think in in general, we're more peers. Yeah. I think that's fair. In this case, you do everything and I just (laughs) arrive and say some things, maybe a little too softly into the microphone (laughs) and then I go away and magically it becomes a podcast. (laughs) 